Hey, I'm Johanna Wagstaff. And hi there, I'm Rohit Joseph. And we're asking for 10 minutes of your day to go through the 10 things that the UN recommends we can all do when it comes to climate change. Please don't leave. No. And also the things (laughs) aren't new. We are just wired to not do them. We promise you to help you figure out your brains and you and your people can make better choices to combat climate change. 10 Minutes to Save the Planet is available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. We had had a couple of overdoses earlier in the day, but we had a gentleman out front who wasn't doing so great. So we administered one injectable Narcan and he wasn't responding. So I turned to another staff member, said call. My coworker didn't even get dispatched to the ambulance. Four other people dropped. That's when everybody sort of all hands on deck. That's Hillary Thomas. She's a frontline worker and peer mentor at the Bridge Street drop-in in Belleville, Ontario. In the span of just 48 hours, there were 23 drug overdoses in that city, enough to prompt the mayor of Belleville to declare a state of emergency. In the days that followed, our producer Amanda Grant went to Belleville, but two hours east of Toronto, to meet some of the people facing the crisis head-on. She's with me in studio now. Amanda, hello. Hi. So you met some people who were living through this overdose crisis, and one in particular. Tell me about her. Yeah, so this one woman really stood out to me. I met Tracy Ledeker at the Bridge Street Drop-In Centre as it was opening for the day. There were maybe 20 people milling around out front. They were gathering up their belongings from the night before, heading inside to get warm. Tracy was one of them. She's 47, she's been homeless for seven years now, and she's been addicted to opiates for many more. She was coming inside to get warm and catch her breath. She'd actually just revived her partner, who'd nearly overdosed earlier that morning. She was wearing a purple plaid shirt underneath a purple sweater. It was her favorite color, she told me. And she looked small, but quite strong. Her hair pulled back with one side shaved into a buzz cut. What did she say in the conversations that you had with her about why she started using drugs? You know, she was really generous in sharing her, her own experience with using opiates Tracy has a spine condition called kyphosis. It causes a rounding of the spine, and it can come with a lot of pain. She says she's skeptical of doctors, so she just lived with that pain. But when her mother died, she started to lose control. I always swore I would never, ever be a pill addict or addicted to opiates because I grew up with a drug-addicted mother. And in 2010, I found my mom dead of a drug overdose. And... um, She left me $60,000, and I drank it. And then I took a fall, and my 12-year-old son had to stay home and help me go to the bathroom. I went that day and got my first Oxy, because I just thought there is no way in hell that my children are going to live that way. Is Tracy from Belleville? She's not. She's been in the area for most of her adult life, though. She she grew up in Calgary, Alberta. That's where her mother struggled with addiction. And when her mom left town and moved east to Ontario, Tracy decided to follow. At one point, Tracy was married and she has five adult children, but she hasn't spoken to most of them for years. And so how was she doing after this most recent run of overdoses in that city? It's been really hard. Her eyes welled up with tears when we talked about it. She said, you know... There is a level of desensitization. She's seen a lot of suffering in her life, but when a close friend dies, she said it's hard to look away. I've had a lot go on 
in the last couple weeks. Um, I almost died. I lost two very good friends. One of them died with their head on my feet on Friday. And he was actually a guy who, who he checked on me every single day. And the reason he was there was to check on me. And then uh, my other friend, he died 11 days ago um, in a dumpster out back. I've had kind of some awakening, I guess, these last couple of weeks after many, many years of refusing any type of medical attention and self-medicating, I'm going to take the steps and go to the doctor. You mentioned earlier that, that she's been homeless for a number of years now. Mm -hmm. Where is she living? She spends most of her time under tarps and blankets outside this Bridge Street drop-in, just across the square from Belleville City Hall. She's tried going to the shelters, but there are only five beds dedicated to female clients and couples are separated. When you're on the street... <sighs> He's all I've got, and you take him away from me, and, I, and I'm lost. So we don't go to the shelter because they, they, they separate us. So Tracy and her partner sleep rough, and then they come into the drop-in center to have a shower and a hot meal. And that's where they met Hillary. Hillary's awesome. Who's Hillary? What's her role at the drop-in? Well, she's a harm reduction worker and peer mentor. That means she's drawing on her own experiences to help guests at the center. Like many of the clients, Hillary struggled with addiction. But now, three years sober, she's finishing her diploma in community justice services. Four weeks to go. Whew, we're almost there. And she wants to give back to the community that helps support her. I have so much respect for everyone that is living out here because the things they have to do to survive, most people wouldn't even fathom. And to see them get up every day and keep going, it's empowering. It's incredible to be the person that they trust. I talked to Hillary and Tracy in the peer support office. It's a small room. There's a desk and a couple of chairs off to the side. But most of the room is filled with these filing cabinets and shelves stocked with supplies to hand out to clients. There's sterile syringes, basic first aid kits, some personal hygiene products. As we talked, there were a steady stream of people coming to the door. Oh, yes. How are you today, Lori? I'm fine. How's your arm? Getting a little better. Yeah, your blood sugar okay so far? One asked if she had some cigarettes. Another was looking for a tote bag to store some of their belongings. The majority just wanted to say hi, and she jumped to her feet with every new visitor, eager to help with whatever she could. Who's running this drop-in center? The center's in the basement of the Bridge Street United Church. From the front steps, you can see City Hall mm. across the street. It's a picturesque downtown. Many of the original buildings restored, and there's a large square where they host a weekly farmer's market. It was on while I was there. The city is about 55,000 people, and it's sandwiched between the high-end wineries and beaches of Prince Edward County and the University City of Kingston. For years, the church ran a meal program out of this space, but during the pandemic, they decided there was more support needed. So they moved to create a full-time drop-in center operated by the John Howard Society. All of the staff are trained in opioid overdose response, and it's a skill set they've been using a lot. This is a small city. Um, how is the healthcare system in Belleville handling the scale of these overdoses? Well, if a person isn't responding immediately to a naloxone injection, staff and guests call 911. Earlier this month, that meant 15 people were taken to the local hospital within two hours, all drug overdoses. The result of a tainted drug supply was fentanyl mixed with a sedative. Mm. 
Colin McPherson is the chief of staff and medical director of psychiatry at Quinty Health in Belleville. There are people who are in real danger, like very serious danger. Opioid addiction is a serious illness, and it quickly overwhelms people. The stakes here are extremely high. I talked to him in his office at the hospital, and he looked he looked tired, worn out from everything that he'd been going through. Dr. McPherson says treating these overdose patients means the hospital treads very close to that line of being overwhelmed. We need to make space, and we're actively triaging all the time downstairs. That means delaying the care for people who are presenting with less urgent problems. So when a number like that comes in the eMERGE, the people who are waiting are waiting that much longer. So it increases risk for everybody. I mean, you can kind of hear it in his voice. He sounds weary Mm -hmm. in some ways. And we've spoken a lot on this program about healthcare workers and the burnout that they're facing um, broadly. How is that factoring into the fatigue that we're hearing? Well, like many hospitals across the country, as you said, Dr. McPherson says dealing with overdoses is an added stress for an already overburdened staff. And it does come with a heightened sense of frustration and burnout. Many of us are working more than we would like, and sometimes more than we should. So when patients are coming in and out, it's an added frustration. And it's for us, me as a a leader of the organization, to be attentive to that, acknowledge what they're going through to ensure that uh, we remain compassionate as best we can. Burnout and fatigue is top of mind for me all the time. So in the face of this, what is the city doing to try to help? Well, so this is in part why the mayor of Belleville, Neil Ellis, declared a state of emergency. The most recent spike in overdoses is getting a lot of attention, but the problem isn't new. Officials have been raising the alarm for a while now. In November of last year, there was a similar spike in overdoses, 90 in the course of just one week. Mm. And while the mayor made a motion then to call on the province for more support, there were no tangible changes. So this time he decided to go further, declaring that state of emergency. The magnitude, these issues and pressure being felt by our emergency services have reached a breaking point for them and the community. The city commits almost $20 million of tax dollars per year to homeless efforts. These programs what does that actually mean? If you declare a state of emergency, what does that mean for the city? Well, it allows more resources to be freed up to deal with the issue at hand, and it also results in more attention. There's people like me visiting the city and more politicians willing to get involved. This has to get on the radar because it's not just Belleville. You know, I guess we're the, the highlighted because it, it happened and the emergency was called. But uh, when you look at Bancroft, you look at smaller communities, Durham and Oshawa and Hamilton, part of this is, is uh, not great having us in the news, but part of it is are we kind of taking one for the team in the sense of getting this message out? And I hope that uh, more leaders speak out and, and challenge the provincial government. I feel right now we're, we're drowning and, and all communities are drowning and the provincial and federal and all three of us have to work together. Upper governments have the funds to, to look at this. So in the face of that, what has the mayor heard from other levels of government, including the provincial government? The mayor has spoken on the phone with Prime Minister Trudeau and the Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, both pledged to help the municipality. And last week, Premier Ford said his government would provide funding to support Belleville and its efforts to turn the Bridge Street drop-in into a permanent supportive services hub. But just yesterday, Mayor Ellis said they haven't seen anything in writing from the province, and he was told the $2 million price tag for the hub would be a tough sell. His frustration was palpable. Still, the mayor says the city has a location for the hub, and he's committed to working to make it happen. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. 
We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. What do residents and and businesses who are nearby think of this plan? This is always a tricky issue. It is, it is. And many are supportive of the plan, but they're also wary of where it might be located. They say downtown Belleville has changed with the opioid crisis, and here's what one resident told me. I have a couple of teenage grandchildren that like to be out in in my day of being, you know, 15, 17, 18 in Belleville. You'd bring them downtown, they could buzzer off on their own and do their own thing. Nowadays, I'm a little more dubious. I'm not as safe as I thought I would be living in Belleville. I travel all over North America. I go to Florida, I go to LA, I go, you know, on my motor home. And I'm a little more dubious about being downtown here than I am in some of the states that most people would say stay away from. I also spoke to Jennifer Hunter downtown. She owns a shop there. Good, thank you. Have you been in before? I have not. She says some businesses are struggling to staff their stores and restaurants because parents won't let their teens go downtown alone. There are a lot more transient and homeless than there was in the past. I do feel that we need to come up with another solution to keep our downtown viable. It is definitely affecting tourism. Visitors coming here um, are seeing it, and uh, it's affecting the downtown business. What do locals say needs to be done to address this? I mean, this is an issue that, to your point, has received national attention. Mm -hmm. Everyone I spoke to, from drug users to support workers, from healthcare staff to the mayor, they all say housing is a key piece of this puzzle. Sheila Bradek is the executive director of the region's community health services. Is the immediate response going to help us deal with the immediate situation of overdoses, toxic overdoses, and, and how, you know, better positioning this community to respond? Yeah. Is it going to solve this? No. Right? Is it going to deal with the toxic drug supply? No. Is it going to ensure that there's adequate mental health and addiction supports in our community? No. Is it going to ensure that there's housing for people who need housing? No. But as the mayor points out, there isn't a simple solution to those problems. I spoke to a real estate agent the other day, and, and she had a rental property of $2,400 uh, a month, and they had 81 applications. So where, where can you house them? You almost have to, to build housing. Right now, we have uh, people renting bedrooms and houses for $850, and then that's how high it's gotten. So while housing may be one of the key issues here, obviously fixing that will take a long time. In the meantime, those overdoses are continuing. People are dying. Um, what mm-hmm. about treatment options for people? Well, there is a methadone clinic and there are detox facilities, but there are limited spaces and it's even harder to get into a rehab program there. Hillary's the frontline worker I met at the Bridge Street drop-in that we heard from earlier. And she says recovery won't happen without more support. Without food, safety and shelter, you cannot successfully make change in your life. We Detox, detox is great. I I fully support detoxes, but if we're taking someone off the street, putting them in detox for three days, and then putting them back out on the street, not only are we not solving the issue, we're actually potentially making them more susceptible to an overdose. What I would love to see is supportive detox transition directly into a supportive rehab and then into a supportive housing unit. 
in order to be, and this is my own personal experience, in order to be successful at recovery, you need support. And without those supports in place, Hillary says she struggles to go home at the end of the day. She said that's her biggest nightmare, locking the door at the end of the day and leaving behind people like her friend Channing, who died just a few weeks ago. There's a couple of people, Channing specifically, that kind of kept me from going down a bad path in life. I've always called Channing my brother. So that's a hard one. That's a really hard one. Channing uh, overdosed after we had closed, so we weren't here to support. That's the hardest part, is shutting that door at night, because we're not here. If you go back to the woman that we started this conversation hearing from, Tracy, we heard from her at the very beginning. How is she coping when that drop-in center closes up for the night? And and we just heard the door locks. Mm -hmm. Tracy says she does take comfort in the community that she's built around her. She says she knows if she goes down, someone will be there to pick her up, just as she's done time and time again for others. You've never seen a bunch of people run as fast as they do until one of us goes down. We come together like like an army to, to save each other. I've administered and done CPR. I literally learned CPR on the street, saving my friends from fentanyl overdoses. And Richard was the first one, but Gordon I couldn't save. He was our first loss. What do you want people to understand about what you and your community are going through? That we're not bad people that the gateway to all of this is trauma. And then once you're out here, the trauma continues. Almost all of us out here don't want this life. We all want something better. So in the face of that, what is what is she thinking about when it comes to her future? She's been through a lot in mm-hmm. the last little while. Mm-hmm. Tr- Tracy just wants more for herself. And this week, she actually did get some good news. Mm. She found out she would be able to start treatment through the methadone clinic. And she has a line on a room in a house in a nearby community. It's far enough away that she says she feels like she won't be confronted by her past every day. And for the first time in a long time, she's feeling a bit of optimism. I wonder sometimes if the staff here ever wonders what we talk about when we get high. A lot of times we talk about getting clean and we talk about who we've lost and we talk about not wanting to die as messed up as that sounds you know you're sitting there doing the exact thing that's going to kill you what kind of keeps you motivated and keeps you going i have five kids three of them i haven't spoken to in seven years i want to know my children it's quite something amanda thank you very much thank you matt Amanda Grant is a producer here at The Current. She was in Belleville, Ontario last week to talk about the opioid crisis in that community. We speak a lot about the drugs crisis across this country, largely though in major cities. Um, But this is an issue, as we just heard, that is hitting particularly hard in small communities as well. And it's a familiar story, coast to coast to coast. If you are in one of those small communities, would love to know what this opioid crisis, this toxic drugs crisis has meant in your town or in your small city. Let us know. You can email us, thecurrent at cbc.ca. 
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.